If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's bad mates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's bad mates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream a download, holy cow You can stop listening now to bad mates Because we're bad mates Hello and welcome to Batmates, a podcast that doesn't have a butler, but we could certainly use one, because this house is a mess. My name is Becca, and some men just want to watch the world burn. My name is Josh, and vengeance blackens the soul, Bruce. I always feared you would become that which you fought against. You walk the edge of that abyss every night, but you haven't fallen in, and I thank heaven for that. And also, I've drawn you a bath. <laughs> Uh, welcome to Batmates. We are a Batman podcast where normally we talk about villains. And today we're going to talk about the most evil of them all. Alfred, the butler who did it. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know if they ever used that trope of like, the butler did it. It was Alfred. I don't know. I don't think we have. Yeah. Although last episode we did talk about playing Clue on the podcast. That's true. Let's jump into news. Yeah, we got some news. Um, we're we're a couple and we love each other very much. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we gotta remind you of that every week or else we'll forget. <laughs> and we talk about Silver Age stuff. Yeah. But this week in news, DC last week launched the Infinite Frontier mm. initiative. Becca and I aren't reading it. We're not going to give you reviews for it. It seems like a kind of interesting idea. I wasn't really gripped by it. Although, I have read some articles on it, and it introduces the Omniverse. Okay. Which means that everything is canon. Okay. From Golden Age onward. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it also uh, (laughs) unveiled the Linearverse, where people age slower, so that's how characters can stay around for so long. Mm. Which is basically the exact same idea behind Earth 2 Mm -hmm. from, like, the, the Silver Age where the old characters are still around because they're still operating. It's also kind of like the same idea that Marvel has, where it's like, yeah, everything's happened. It's just, you know, happened pretty slowly. Like, everyone mm-hmm. ages pretty slowly. Don't worry about it. It wasn't that long ago that ev- that everything you remember happened. Yeah. Happened. Yeah. Although they have a... The, Marvel does, like, a shifting timeline. Yeah. The DC's, uh, like, solution to this seems to be that, like, society and world events happen at the same pa- pace, mm-hmm. but people live longer. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> I mean, you know what they say, we live in a society, so that's the most important thing driving all of their decisions at DC. Speaking of which, a little bit of Justice League news for you. Yeah! If you wanted to watch Tom and Jerry last week, you were both lucky and unlucky, because you didn't get to. Uh, <laughs> HBO Max accidentally leaked the first hour of uh, Zack Snyder's The Justice League under the guise of people wanting to watch Tom and Jerry, and apparently... If you paused it at any time while you were watching it, the TV would still tell you you were watching Tom and Jerry, even though you were watching Zack Snyder's Justice League. (laughs) So I don't know if it's been fixed yet, probably, but I do know that there were like screen grabs and people taking pictures of their TVs. So if you are trying to save yourself from spoilers, be really careful Mm -hmm. if you are going on Twitter uh, or Reddit and wanting to avoid Justice League spoilers. You can watch- For a movie that you've already seen, probably. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, maybe Batman's wearing a different hat in that one scene. In in this, into the Snyder Cut? And that could be- a big a big change you don't know a big storytelling difference it changes the meaning of the whole film it, honestly that's how it feels sometimes 
<laughs> so if you do want to watch the Snyder Cut legitimately, that is going to be available on March 18th on HBO Max. And the last piece of news that we have to share is some more details about Space Jam Legacy came out. Yeah. And you're looking at me and you might go, Josh, what does something about the Looney Tunes have to do with Batman? Mm. Well, it got announced that Batman, along with other Warner Brother properties like King Kong and Wonder Woman, are going to have cameo appearances in the, the new Space Jam movie. All right. So place your bets right now. Do you okay. think it's going to be live action or animated Batman? Probably animated. You don't think they can get Ben to come in for like two hours and put on <laughs> put on the suit? No, I don't think it's going to be Affleck, and I don't think it's going to be like Keaton or anything. Although I would love. Oh my if god, you would mark Ke- out so hard if <laughs> if Michael Keaton <laughs> if like Michael Keaton showed up in a Space Jam movie and, and he was just like, I'm Batman. Yeah, hi Bugs Bunny. Hi Bugs Bunny. <laughs> you ever dance with Devil in a Pale Moonlight? <laughs> That's, honestly, Keaton Batman is the perfect foil to Bugs Bunny. That was I think. that was uh, that was uh, Jack Nicholson's line. That wasn't his. Oh no, he uh, uh, he would go. Uh, Let's get crazy. Let's, Let's get, get nuts. nuts. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. That would be wonderful. Bugs Bunny would be like, "Shit thing, Doc." <laughs> I don't do a good Bugs Bunny. Okay, well then, if it's gonna be animated. I don't think it's going to be Kevin. You don't think they're going to get Kevin Conroy? I don't think they're going to get Kevin for Looney Tunes. I mean, maybe. Who even knows if he's going to, like, talk? It could be... Who, who does his voice in the Lego movies? Oh, that is uh, Will, Will Arnett. Will Arnett, that's who it is, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's either going to be... I don't think it's going to be Will Arnett either. I think it might just be, like... Uh, Silent? Troy. Troy Baker. <laughs> Troy Baker. <laughs> yeah. Has he done... He's done Batman before, hasn't he? Like in something. So. Or Nolan North, maybe. Maybe. Who uh, knows? Who knows? Doesn't really matter. I'll, I'll bet you that his his part in this movie isn't going to be that big. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure it's just going to be like a cameo, or they're going to go to like Gotham City and he'll show up, but he won't have any speaking lines. Maybe. But I don't know. It's interesting that Warner Brothers is like digging into their catalog of movies and oh. being like, we're going to do Looney Tunes in this catalog of movies. Digging, he's like their most popular character. Well, that's true. Sure. Yeah. But I saw that they were going to do also like Citizen Kane is a movie that's going to be referenced. Is he going to play basketball? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, man. Although, I, again, like it, I, this is just like initial details about the movie coming out. We still don't know more about it. It, it sounds like they're going to be kind of like visiting these worlds yeah. in kind of like a touristy way. Yeah. Here's something we do know about this movie. Lola Bunny got top surgery, and we should support her. <laughs> that was her decision. I don't think she looks honestly that different from the first movie. No, not really. And I actually, if we're going to talk about the character designs for the new Space Jam movie, I don't like them. Yeah. I think they suck. Because okay. they're they're all 3D renderings instead of like two flat 2D images, which looks weird on the Looney Tunes. Okay. I do not care. <laughs> Space Jam is a movie I saw twice, maybe three times. I haven't seen it since I was forced to during a gym class in high school. And yeah, I have no strong feelings. What in the whatsoever. world would they have been teaching you in a gym class in high school? I think it was just we had a sub. And they were like, I'm not a gym teacher. We're going to watch Space Jam. 
That's listen. All I remember is the last time I watched Space Jam, it was on a very small TV in a gym. Okay, that's all I remember. Well, you should watch it on the big screen because it's a, a cinematic masterpiece. Yeah, okay. it is. It definitely no. Honestly, though, it's a really good movie. Okay, it's definitely worth watching. If you like Looney Tunes, it's worth watching. I'm pretty ambivalent about Looney Tunes and really? Tom and Jerry, which is why I haven't seen the first hour of Justice League. <laughs> okay, because I didn't watch that. Do we want to do Bat Family Matters first? No, because it's basically going to take up the entire episode. No, 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 no. I want to talk about him in the Golden Age. I want to talk about Alfred in the Golden Age. You want to do your part of Bat Family Matters and then do the comic and then do my part of Bat Family Matters? Yes. All right. I'm, I'm fine with that. Okay. Sorry we didn't establish this in some sort of pre-production meeting like real podcasters, but here we are. <laughs> Go ahead, sweetie. Yeah, we're we're gonna. I'm gonna bring you up to speed as to what's gonna happen into this in this comic. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see here. Alfred Pennyworth, or actually in the Golden Age, Alfred Beagle. Beagle. Yeah. So he's the, Jewish. <laughs> the character is believed to have been created for the Batman serials that were made in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Um, Serials as in movies, not as in like Captain Crunch. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, or or short movies, I guess. Cause, yeah, because yeah, they are released in small parts. Okay. Anyway, the the evidence for this is that uh, the character was introduced in the comics like shortly before the serials, and then the serials had the character in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- similar to how we were talking about how Barbara Gordon was introduced into the comics before she was shown on the television mm-hmm. show in in the sixties. Alfred Beagle, a heavy set, clean shaven man, shows up at the Wayne's doorstep at, at Bruce Wayne's doorstep, explaining that he is there upon the request of his father, Jarvis Beagle, a former butler of Bruce's father and military agent. And Jarvis asked Alfred to uh, go to Bruce Wayne and offer to be his butler on his deathbed. Hmm. Alfred served in the First World War and then became an actor before he made his trip to America to see Bruce Wayne. Initially, the character was conceived as a clumsy foil to Batman and Robin, almost stumbling into their identities over and over again, sort of like Aunt Harriet does in the Silver Age comics. Mm -hmm. Shortly after the serials were released, the comic version took a vacation to a health resort and then returned slimmer and with a mustache to match the live-action actor that played him in the serials. Mm -hmm. Uh, This look obviously stuck with him, and this is the the modern look that we all know and love. It's really funny. Before you move on, I just want to point out, I think it's kind of funny, and I would maybe like to look it up and see, like, the timeline of events. I find it funny that Alfred is the, like, DC butler, and uh, Jarvis is the name of the Starks butler in, in Marvel. I, and that's why Tony names his AI Jarvis. It's after his, like, butler. I feel like Iron Man's, like, computer would have been later in comic history than this. Because yeah. this was, like, thir- no, either 42 or something like that. It was very early in Batman. Like, Batman had only been around a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting that when when Alfred shows up, Batman already has Robin mm-hmm. uh, as, like, you know, his sidekick. Alfred stumbles upon the Batcave and finds out the two's true identities. Of course. (laughs) And 
Then he also falls in love with Belinda. I'm just going over, like, interesting stories that happened in the Golden Age. He falls in love with a woman named Belinda, who's actually Catwoman in disguise. Okay. (laughs) And uh, he dresses up as Batman to try and win her affections, because he's like, I have connections to Batman. (laughs) Was this when it was Catwoman dressed up as an old woman? Did he fall in love with her as an old woman? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, because that was one of Catwoman's first appearances, was she dressed up as an old woman and, like was, like, trying to rob a boat. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, but the thing is, uh, Batman figured out that she wasn't an old woman because, like, some danger happens and she starts running and Batman's like, old women don't run like that. That's not an old lady. <laughs> Do you happen to know what year that first Bat- or that first Catwoman comic came out? Yeah, it was June of 1940. Okay, so this was later then because this okay. happened in, like, 1944. Cool. I've also discovered that uh, Edwin Jarvis, uh, his first appearance was 1964. So okay. not really influencing each other, probably. Probably, yeah. Because the, the, the name Jarvis as Alfred's father is only mentioned, as far as I can tell, in, back in this, uh, you know, old comic. It may have been mentioned one more time when they do his reboot, because uh, there is a reboot that I will have to talk about, which is going to be very confusing. <laughs> okay. Before we get to that, he saves Batman multiple times throughout the, you know, 40s to, to 60s. Once, he stages Bruce Wayne's death mm. to protect his identity from a villain named The Thinker. And Ooh. we actually might go over this comic because it's a Silver Age comic. The Thinker is going to be in um, oh. a spot in uh, Suicide Squad. So oh. we can cover this in a future episode. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll say right off the bat, we're not doing a Squad Goals this episode. This is basically just going to be... Uh, all a, Alfred uh, all the time. All Alfred all the time. <laughs> yes. Anyway, when he stages Bruce Wayne's death, he gets blamed for Bruce Wayne's murder. Oh, no. (laughs) So The butler did it. Yeah, yeah. But he does get exonerated because Bruce Wayne shows back up. Mm. Which I don't know. Again, I didn't like read the comic all the way through. I don't know how that works. If it would throw the thinker off still. Because that was the whole reason for faking his death was to throw the thinker off. I don't know. Let me get into the the reboot, quote unquote, right now. So I've been saying that his name was Alfred Beagle, but most people know Alfred as Alfred Pennyworth. Mm-hmm. The switch from Beagle to Pennyworth is incredibly ambiguous. There is conflicting messages from different sources. The DC Universe chronology website that I use to try and find like when characters' first appearances were and, and stuff like that... They have the last appearance of Alfred Beagle being in 1949 and the first appearance of Alfred Pennyworth being in 1955. Okay. But he appears in comics between 49 and 55. Mm-hmm. So at some point in that, he, you know, switches. Okay. And this gets confirmed because there is a comic in September of 1957 that's like a flashback and it flashes back to when he first met Batman, and he's not the, like, short, fat, shaven guy that he is in the 40s comics. He's his, like, normal, thin, mustached self in that comic. Mm. Um, and and I also want to talk a little bit about how ambiguous Batman continuity is kind of in general. I was kind of reading about the, the delineation between Golden Age and Silver Age Batman. Uh, and a lot of the times we talk about the art style being the shift, um, but there's there's references, and we'll see it in this comic, there's references after the art style shift 
to stuff that happened in the Golden Age. Okay. So the Silver Age Batman, the, you know, the quote unquote, uh, you know, new art style Earth One, according to DC's continuity Batman, experienced the same stuff that the Golden Age Batman did. So there's no real clear line as to when one starts and the other begins. They were setting us up for the Omniverse all the way back here. Exactly. In the the 50s. (laughs) Okay. So we get the, the shift in his backstory and that means that Alfred Pennyworth is a World War II uh, member of British intelligence. His backstory doesn't change a whole lot beyond that. It's still his father asked him to go see Bruce Wayne on his on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. He goes and serves as a butler and finds out the two secret identity. But the difference here is that uh, he found out their identities when he heard moaning coming from behind the grandfather clock. What? So he is able to find the Batcave and tend to Bruce Wayne's wounds. Oh. Because he's beat up from uh, like a a caper that he had. That kind of moaning. Yeah. I see. (laughs) Groans of pain. Good. Um, and I think this was actually revealed in a like Bronze Age comic. So we the, this version of Alfred extends all the way up till Crisis on Infinite Earths in the eighties. Okay. Uh, he gains powers in the comics, and again, this is something else we might cover in 1959, and helps Batman out on one of his capers. Mm-hmm. It's another one of those things where, like, you know how sometimes like Batman gained powers in the Silver Age just so they could have a fun sci-fi story. Same thing happens with Alfred anywhere. <laughs> Uh, and then throughout the early 1960s, something I found that was really interesting is he gets a typewriter and begins writing like fictional future stories for Batman, which serves as a way for like the editors to do Elseworlds tales Mm -hmm. before Elseworlds in the DC comics was a thing. Yeah. So one of them is about like Bruce Wayne's son who goes and fights a crime in the future. And there's more than that. And again, we might go over some of these because they're, they're still like wacky silver age stuff. Yeah. It's funny to me. He would write future stories and not do like the, uh, Dr. Watson thing of being like, let me chronicle the adventures of Batman. Mm. I guess it's because he doesn't want to give away their identities. I don't know. It's like not... if he ever if he ever decided to publish them. I, I mean, even if he did decide to punish, publish them, he'd still be like, ah, oh, future. I mean, I guess if you were like, anyone could write a story about Batman. Who cares? It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's interesting, though. It's pretty neat that they came up with this plot device for, you know, Alfred is writing stories about a Batman, and that's how we get to tell these, like, weird future things. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no in-universe event that has to happen. It's just, you know, Alfred's having fun writing, writing stories on his typewriter. Alfred's writing fan fiction. Exactly. Love it. It's exactly what it is. It, it's, it's fan fiction written by the people who actually write the comics. Love it. Uh, And that brings us up to the comic that we're about to read. So this is the second Detective Comics after the art style change. Mm. Uh, And it is Detective Comics number 328. Uh, It is called... Give me a second here. The Gotham Gang Lineup. The writer was Bill Finger. Penciler was Sheldon Moldov. Inker is Joe uh, Giella. Letterer is Gaspar Saladino, and the editor, obviously, is Julius Schwartz. So the gang's all here. Gang's the, all here. The normal, well, you know, Bill Finger, Sheldon Moldov. Giella, usually it's um, Jack Schiff. No, Jack Schiff was the old editor. Yeah. Who's the other anchor? I don't know. 
That's not usually Joe Giella, but more power to him. The color's, the color's really good. Go back to any of our other episodes to see who the usual anchor is. <laughs> so Alfred's death is what we are covering in this comic. Not to spoil too much, but that is the title of this episode. Mm-hmm. So uh, just like brace yourself for that. The cover is a really cool shot of the dynamic duo in the harsh lighting of a police lineup. I also really love the guy off to the side who's twirling his gun on his finger. Very unsafe. Oh, I yeah. I yeah. love the like lines of motion there. Also, if you look at Batman's silhouette, he looks very like Mothman, which I think is very cool. Oh, that's pretty neat. And we can also see that he is six foot almost exactly. It looks like he's maybe six foot two. If you add the ears, then he's about six three. Yeah, but without the ears, I think he's maybe six six two. And Robin's literally five feet. Yeah, five one maybe. I'm taller than Robin on a good day. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, well here we go. <laughs> the interior cover also sees the moment of truth for Alfred. He'll either sacrifice himself or see Gotham's greatest heroes crushed beneath a boulder. Ooh. We open with Alfred in the Batcave as he gets a call on the private line that is only accessible by Commissioner Gordon. Since the boys are out, Alfred screams the call, which for you Zoomers out there is old person speak for leaving someone on red. <laughs> it's interesting uh, that they have this set up. I guess, you know, back in 1960s, this was pretty... Uh, you know, modern cutting cutting edge technology to mm-hmm. have an answering machine because those didn't become widely spread until the eighties, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe late seventies. It also is kind of funny that like Alfred sees the phone, and he's like, "Well, the guys are out, and I'm not going to answer it because I'm Alfred, and they're going to know who <laughs> Batman is." However. I did a bunch of research on Alfred in the 60s show and he would answer the bat phone all the time. I don't know if he would disguise his voice or if he was just like, I'm a different butler. Who is this? <laughs> Batman's butler here, not Alfred. I don't know. I didn't watch episodes of the TV show in researching this. Um, but he decides to not answer it. Yeah, because he, he says, you know, the tape will record it and then Batman and Robin will be able to come back and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Also, weirdly, he's holding a torch in this panel. I don't yeah. know why. He's burning like, stuff. Does does the Batcave not have lighting? <laughs> Did they not? Uh, I mean, it's the 60s and he's in a cave, so probably not. Really? You don't think the Batcave? I mean, they have computers and stuff down there. They, must, think... they must have electric electricity running. I think he's burning evidence. I'm going to talk later about one of the most well-known portrayals of Alfred burning some very important things. Mm. So maybe it's a, maybe there you go. Maybe that was a reference. Uh, Gordon mentions. No, it wasn't. It was. Gordon mentions that the Tri-State Gang is meeting somewhere in Gotham. And Alfred takes it upon himself to investigate their only lead, a gang member named Paul Party. Confusingly, he then leaves the house to tail party on his very cool motorcycle. It's no bat cycle, but it's the definition of old school British cool, especially with the helmet and the goggles. (laughs) I really like it. What do you mean confusingly? His idea is that I have to gather evidence on this gangster so that Batman doesn't have to do as much legwork when he comes back. Yeah, the legwork is like, hey, I already figured out who this guy is. The legwork shouldn't include, now I'm going to go to his house, and if he leaves, I am going to follow him, even though I'm just Alfred and I have no weapons. (laughs) We will see. This does not turn out well for him in the end. When Batman and Robin arrive home, they investigate Alfred's lead and head to Party's house, where they discover that Alfred left them a trail to follow by coating his tires in an infrared chemical. It's a good thing that Alfred dies later in this comic, quickly, uh, because all of these characters are heading towards a slow and painful death caused by radiation poisoning. No, infrared is what, like, TV remotes use. 
For what? For for being able to t- t- talk with a television. Infrared radiation is not that that bad. It, like it can't even pierce your skin. Any kind of radiation is bad for your organs. No, it's and not. Especially if you're coating your tires with it's it. It's not. Kids, it's fine. Don't listen to Josh. Don't play with radiation. You know, actually, it's it's kind of interesting. Most cell phone cameras can see infrared radiation. Ooh. And so you can actually see through certain things using your cell phone versus like with your, your naked eye. It's pretty cool. Scary. I want to go back to the caves. It's pretty neat. <laughs> Too much uh, technology for me. It's also, it's super convenient that the Batmobile can see infrared. <laughs> like yeah. through the windshield. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's bizarre, honestly. So the dynamic duo arrive at the abandoned Gotham prison. Or is it? Because inside, the members of the Tri-State gang watch the boys from a secret camera hidden in a drain pipe. And Paul Party mentions the camera also caught the guy who followed him here on a motorcycle. Alfred, no! No! Uh, the gang members then attempt to electrify a doorknob to shock Batman. Very Home Alone-esque. Extremely. I love it. <laughs> and then they're going to have a spider come after him and he's going to trip all over the Legos. However, a fly lands on the knob at the very last second, alerting the caped crusader to the danger. Batman would be dead if it were not for this fly. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to think that his superpower is not deduction, but it's being lucky. Yeah, like Domino. (laughs) It's a superpower. I can't believe it. I cannot believe that. Like, they're like, oh, we electrified it. And Batman goes, oh, a fly set off a spark. I guess I better not touch it. Doesn't he have rubber gloves, though? Uh, they look kind of like leather in this panel. Okay. And mm. uh, it might just ruin his gloves. It probably wouldn't kill him. It would probably just be like one of those things where like he's all singed and like he'd pass out. Hmm. Probably. The boys instead use their bat ropes to climb in through a window. However, the gang has more tricks up their sleeves and are able to transform a staircase into a slippery slope to danger. Yeah, what a, what a classic trap. Yeah. The, like, funhouse stairs that turn into a slide. Spooky. Something I've never seen in live action, only ever in cartoons does yeah. that really happen. Well, because most regular stairways have something on them to make you stick to them, right? Like, yeah. Like, they have either uh, some sort of treading on them so that you don't, you know, slip on the stairs. Yeah. So so even if they were to turn into a slide, you wouldn't really slide down them. You just kind of like bump down them. A little yeah, bit. yeah. Honestly, so yeah. it. I guess it's it's not a trap that works in real life very well. Maybe I'm surprised how easily this takes them down. Honestly, they fall all the way down and immediately are like completely passed out and dazed, dazed and, and confused. Yeah, yeah. So with the dynamic duo incapacitated, the gang members first want to do the most reasonable thing and unmask them. But some idiot decides that's not a good idea and says that they first have to figure out who has been the most wronged by Batman and Robin. And that person will have the honor of unmasking well, and then killing them. Yeah, they get, they argue over who gets to kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it honestly, th- this whole scene that's coming up reminds me of the Batman the Animated Series episodes Trial as well as Almost Got Him. Mm-hmm. Where they're all sharing stories about Batman to try and like one up each other. <laughs> Yeah, although those ones are a little bit better than Well, those, those ones, for Almost Got em, it's them trying to say, like, you know, who got the closest to actually killing Batman. This one, it's like, who got screwed over the most? By Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Good, honestly. So, we arrive at the lineup, where the newly revived Batman and Robin are told how they've wronged these men. Mm-hmm. 
One gang member, a fat guy named Hippo, <laughs> talks about his plan to steal a $100,000 necklace from the set of a Cleopatra movie. However, Batman thwarted the escape by throwing a spear into the wheel of the culprit's escape chariot. <laughs> I feel like... He and used I, what was on the set. Yeah. Yeah, he, he used what he had. Mm-hmm. I can, He's nothing if not resourceful. <laughs> I can get confirmation on our next episode, because I do have a friend who works in the film industry. Okay. But I have a hunch that they do not use real expensive props for that kind of thing. Oh, they so wouldn't you think use an that... actual The Heart of the Ocean that was used in Titanic was probably made of plastic. Yeah. In most in most shots and except for like the super close-up ones where like no one was actually touching or handling it. Really? You think? Yes, I would think so. Okay. There's no reason to go that expensive on a prop. Yeah, no, okay, okay. But for a vehicle, I mean, it's got to be functional in order to, to move, yeah. right? No, I'm not talking about the chariot. I'm talking about the $100,000 necklace. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was like somebody was able to borrow it. It was a product placement by the local jewelry store. <laughs> Zales. <laughs> this Cleopatra in Spain, sponsored by Zales. <laughs> Go see it. I mean, like, I know they use... Like, for example, we just watched Casino Royale the other night. And yes, like, yeah. he he wears a real, it's not a Rolex, it's whatever the other one is yeah. in that movie. And I'm sure like that was real, but. And they use like real Mercedes Benzes Real and stuff. Aston Martins. Yeah. I don't know, maybe. I'll figure it out. I'll get a confirmation <laughs> for you next episode. Great. All right, who's next? Who's next? Who, yes. got, who got screwed over by Batman next? Next is uh, someone who tells of the time his brother was escaping with the payroll from a lumber mill when Batman surfed on a log down the sluice and knocked him out with one punch. Jeez. Which is maybe the coolest thing he's ever done. I, I love this panel of him, uh, like, literally surfing, snowboarding, whatever, down a sluice on a log. Yeah. It's very cool. It's very cool. He looks yeah. great. Uh, the last- Cape flowing remember... behind him with, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Yes. I could definitely see this happening in the 66 TV show, but it would be, like, Adam West on, like, some sort of, like, kind of green screen thing. Oh, sort of, yeah, like, definitely. Shaking his hips. Definitely. Uh, the, the, the thing worth mentioning is that because of this, the the brother of this gangster is in jail for like 10 years. Yes. So that's, that's the big slight. Mm-hmm. Not that he just got caught, but that he's serving a long prison sentence. The last gang member explains that his, uh, his guys were robbing a diamond setting company when Batman swung through the window on a water hose and washed out the plan. Mm-hmm. This, this one, I don't feel bad for this guy. Uh, he says in the panels, like... He thinks that because they're on the fourth floor that nobody can come and get them. He works in a city with a, a, a crime fighter who dresses up as the only flying mammal. Mm-hmm. He should know that high up places are not like off the off the table. He literally hangs out on gargoyles all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I also I was also when I was reading this thinking about just like how you usually get around, especially in like Arkham City and Arkham Knight, where you can literally just like fly across the city yeah. and just like jump I into mean, any rooftop. This version of Batman has it a little a, a little tougher because he doesn't have the like gun, the grapnel gun. Oh, I guess he, so. he has to lasso stuff and like climb up the side of a building, but he can still get to the top of buildings exactly there's no reason why these guys should have thought that they would be safe on the fourth floor yeah i don't feel bad for these guys at all well you shouldn't they're criminals (laughs) 
That's not the point of the podcast. I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not rooting for these criminals in particular. Okay. Sometimes I wish they would get away with it. Good to know you still have a heart. <laughs> so it's decided that the gang member, uh, the second gang member who sold his story, his name is Duke. You don't need to know that, but his name is Duke. Uh, we'll have the honor of killing Batman since it was his brother who Batman hauled off to jail. Mm -hmm. The Duke, most personal connection. Exactly. Duke wants to do the job now, but he is reminded that it will have to wait until they finish their next caper since they are on a time crunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Batman asks to be told the plan as his dying wish and the crooks happily oblige since they are morons. <laughs> <laughs> and they tell him that the plan is to dig up a treasure that is buried nearby on the outskirts of Colonial City, which is Gotham's version of uh, Colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> and the time crunch is because a new building foundation is going to be right on top of the buried treasure and that's being put in tomorrow. Okay, I got a question here, right? This, yeah. this tri-state gang, this is gangs from three different states yeah. got together. New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And they're going to dig up pirate treasure. Why do why do they need three gangs to do this? Why couldn't like whoever found that that treasure map just get it with their own gang? Okay, you got one guy who's in with like the the construction workers okay. union. You got one guy who's in with the Teamsters union. <laughs> you got one guy who's in with like the bricklayers union and they're all going to get together with their with their big machinery. And uh, that's how they're going to get the, the treasure. I just think they could have maybe pulled it off with one gang. They didn't need all three. You know what? Each of these guys has one brain cell to rub together. So between all three of them, they got three <laughs> brain cells to rub together. So there you go. They're going to do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and it's going to be great. Yep. So someone gives the order to lock up the dynamic duo, but at a safe distance from the other prisoner, which tips them off that Alfred is in fact already there. Mm -hmm. And one of the gang members gives Alfred's jailer the heads up that Batman and Robin are now on death row. And at the same time, the dynamic duo are told that Alfred will soon be put to death as well. Yeah. So the stakes are high and they got to get out fast. Yep. Luckily, Batman knows uh, all of Houdini's tricks and uses his escape techniques to break the cuffs on him and Robin. But he can't get close enough to the guard to grab his keys. And there's a great panel where the guard is like passing close to them and he's almost like, uh, uh, you're Batman. I'm not going to get close enough for you to get my keys. And yeah. I'm like, these criminals are actually kind of smart sometimes. Yeah, I know that you're going to reach out and try to grab the keys away from me, so I'm not getting even close to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Robin reminds Batman of the time that he used his wool sock to create a bat kite that alerted the authorities that he was in danger. For more on that, see episode four, Kite Man. Yeah. <laughs> and and this is why I said that the continuity of this comic is, or of the Silver Age is debatable. Mm -hmm. Because that happened to very clearly uh, Earth 2 Batman, Golden Age Batman. Mm -hmm. And this is supposedly a different Batman, even though he remembers that. Yeah. I thought that was cool. I was like, hey, we're doing this podcast so long. We're referencing our older episodes. Yeah. Episode four, everybody. Kite Man. Kite Man. It's a good one. <laughs> so inspired, Batman uses his wool sock threads to create a tripwire that sends the guard toppling to the ground so they can grab his keys. Woolen socks. The true star of Batman's utilities. It's true. Who needs a belt? You got wool socks. I mean, you can take wool and make it into whatever you want. You could. Knit yourself a sweater. <laughs> You can make a, a steel wool to uh, clean your dishes. You can make. <laughs> I a, don't think that's how that works. You make a kite somehow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you could uh, you could you could just ball it up and shove it down a man's throat and suffocate him? Oh no! If you, if you wanted to. I guess. You could do that. I guess. I guess you could. 
Meanwhile, Alfred is released from his cell to be executed, but he does this cool thing where he like donkey kicks and he kicks his boot into his jailer's face and runs off. And he's like, I've been practicing that for an hour. That's great. And what I wouldn't give to have been a fly on the wall in that cell while he's practicing that trick. He's just kicking his boot against the wall constantly. I I feel like that would alert the guard too. Like, hey, what are you doing over there? He's practicing, (laughs) doing stuff. Leave me alone. So the dynamic duo and Alfred simultaneously arrive at each other's empty cells and reach the conclusion that the other has unfortunately been executed and they are too late. Tearfully, they decide that their friend will not have died in vain and they will stop the tri-state gang. Mm. This is so sad. It was like two like, close-ups and Alfred's crying and I'm sure Batman's crying under his cowl and they're like, well, you're dead now, but that won't stop me. Yeah, I love the comic panels here. They're, they're like facing each other, mm-hmm. uh, looking at each other and, and mirroring each other's words where they're like, you know, I'll make sure he hasn't died in vain. It's so nice. It's, I love scenes like that because it makes it very clear that like Alfred really raised Bruce. Well, actually, not in this. Oh yeah, not in this. Not one. in this continuity. Yeah, he actually didn't raise Bruce, but he's he's been with him for a very long time. He influenced him quite a lot. Oh yeah, definitely, and and he's learned to become a detective like Batman. He he's dedicated a lot of his life to Bruce Wayne and keeping up the Batman facade. Yeah, you know. So at Colonial City, a balloon ascension is being reenacted to distract the crowds from the gigantic digging equipment that is being rolled onto the site. Come over here into my corner. It's Josh's fact corner. Oh, is it about balloons? This is the thing that I was so excited to talk For about. For hours, Josh has been like, wait till you see my Josh's fact corner. And I was like, it's about trains. And okay. he's like, no, but close. Okay, go to the panel because you have to say exactly which balloon takeoff they're reenacting here. Okay. It was done by oh Jean-Pierre Blanchard. On January 9th, 1793. Oh, that's why you kept asking Google okay, okay. What, which president was president. Okay, Jean-Pierre Planchard is a real man, and he wasn't made up for this comic. Because we've seen things before, and as soon as I saw this, I was like, did they make this event up, or is this like a real-life event? That's what I assumed. Okay. Yeah. Jean-Pierre Blanchard flew a hydrogen balloon in Paris in his first flight in 1784. He was one of many aeronauts of the time, uh, and his first flight over the English Channel... Uh, oh, no, sorry. He did the first flight over the English Channel, and he also did first f- the first flights in hot air balloons in a number of European countries. He demonstrated the modern parachute... By attaching it to a dog and dropping it out of hot air balloons. Oh my god. Wait, when did he do that? In 1785. You know what? They almost they kind of reenacted that in that uh, Catherine the Great show on Hulu. Oh, really? They were like, we're going to do a science experiment with a parachute at the last minute. Um, her husband like grabs a dog and he's like, let's throw a dog off the roof. Luckily it works. Yeah. So the parachute had been invented, I want to say maybe like two or three years earlier. And Mm -hmm. he was just, he was just doing it because, you know, word got around slowly. They didn't have YouTube videos to watch. So he had to go and demonstrate the parachute to people like all around the world. He's like, look what I invented. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't invent it. It was somebody else invented it, but he was, he was showing it off, you know? Look at this cool thing. You can jump out of a plane. Exactly. Yeah. Although planes hadn't been invented yet. It was just... Just hot air balloons. Wait till there's planes. You can jump out of them with this. You can jump out of a hot air balloon with this. Or off a roof. Who cares? He, he got to use it himself in 1793 when his balloon ruptured. Oh my god. So so he went around and showed it off and like, look how safe this is, but I'm not going to use it. I'm going to throw a dog at him. 
right. But then he, he did use it himself eventually in 1793. Um, he tried numerous methods of propulsion, like when he was showing off balloons in like the early days. Uh, he tried oars. He tried... Uh, wings. None of them worked, obviously. Balloon, hot air balloons cannot be steered and, mm-hmm. and propulsed. Unless, I guess, you have a, like a fan on them, maybe. Even, yeah. th- even then, it's, it doesn't work very well. You can move it up and down. Yeah, that's basically it, is, is up and down. So, his 1793 flight that is referenced here in the comic, in America, uh, the first hot air balloon flight, or the first air balloon flight in America was from the Walnut Street Jail in Philadelphia Ooh. to the Clement Oak, which is just a big tree, in Deptford, New Jersey. Oh! Present... I know where both of those places are. Exactly. It's right in our backyard. Uh, present at this flight was then-President George Washington, mm. along with future presidents John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and James Monroe. Ooh. All the founding fathers. <laughs> Jean-Pierre died in 1809 from severe injuries he got when he had a heart attack in his balloon and fell to the ground. Oh my god. Uh, It took him a year to die, but it was from the injuries that he sustained during that accident. Yeah. Um, His wife, Sophie, also flew with him uh, and herself died when she fell from her balloon. Her, Her balloon caught fire and she fell off a roof that she had landed on after her balloon caught fire. Ouch. Yep. She also had a few brushes with death before this. Some stories I read was one where she thought she had landed in an open field, but it was actually a marshy bog. Oh, no. And she fell in and couldn't swim. And if help hadn't arrived, she maybe would have drowned. And then there was another one where she was flying. I want to say it was over mountains or she had to fly up high to avoid a hailstorm. And she ended up getting a nosebleed and having like icicles form on her nose. She like would she might have died of hypothermia if she hadn't have uh, you know gotten down in time. Yikes! <laughs> yeah, flying a balloon is dangerous. It, Don't do it, especially in you know late 1700s, early 1800s. Uh, I, the, that was that's all about uh, Jean Pierre Blanchard. Although I did want to mention also that. These early balloon flights inspired uh, what what Wikipedia calls balloonomania. Okay. <laughs> if you've ever wondered why there's like a lot of Italian art with balloons on it, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of why. And it also said that it informed some of the fashion at the time. So dresses with big puffy like sleeves yeah. and, and stuff were inspired by this craze of balloons that happened in the late 1700s. Interesting. I like it. Yep. Well, thank you for all the Josh's Fact Corner. You're welcome. It's very informative. And now I have so many new things I didn't know (laughs) that I now know. Great. So as I was saying, um, the reason they're doing this balloon ascension is to distract the crowds from the giant digging equipment that is being rolled onto the site. And the Batmobile arrives just as the excavation begins and Alfred's motorcycle arrives as well. Unfortunately, even though they see each other, there's no time for reunions because Alfred notices a giant boulder that is about to crush the dynamic duo and he leaps into action, pushing the heroes out of the way and sacrificing himself so that they might live another day to save Gotham as he is crushed beneath this giant boulder. Angrily, the dynamic duo make quick work of the tri-state gang. They say, the, the comic says specifically, like avenging angels. Yeah. 
they end up shoving them into the pit with a bulldozer. Yeah. Which is not something I've ever seen Batman do before. And I feel like that would kill most people, but... What, operating heavy machinery by pushing people? Just, like, using a bulldozer to push somebody into a big hole. I guess. As long as you're, you have it down far enough and they don't get caught underneath of it, mm-hmm. I don't think it would kill anybody. I feel like Osho would have a lot to say about Oh, that. for sure, definitely. <laughs> Although this is, uh, what is this? I want to say, like, 20 years... 30 years before OSHA was enacted. All right. (laughs) Good to know. Uh, So after turning their crooks over to the police, Batman carries Alfred's lifeless body back to the Batmobile and back home. Mm. Days later, after burying Alfred, Bruce decides to memorialize his friend by creating a charity called the Alfred Foundation, which will better mankind. He doesn't say how, just sort of generally, it'll better mankind. And Robin's like, great, he'd be proud of whatever this is going to be. Yeah. (laughs) He'll like it. He would have liked it. Fun fact, this later becomes the Wayne Foundation. Oh, really? Yeah. So you you may be familiar with the Wayne Foundation from from many Batman media. Interesting. This is actually the, the first appearance of that, except it's under a different name. Mm-hmm. So right as he is revealing uh, this model of the Alfred Foundation to Dick, the doorbell rings, and in walks Aunt Harriet in her very first appearance in the comics. Yeah. Apparently she is Dick's aunt and has decided to come look after the two, quote, helpless youngsters, despite Bruce's protests that he is in fact a grown man. <laughs> I love I love the lie. He goes, youngsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the comic ends as Dick mentions that having Aunt Harriet around may cause complications, and Bruce worries she might have questions when they disappear each night yeah yeah so hello aunt harriet goodbye alfred Mm. forever but you know what they say no one's ever really gone no one's ever really gone so maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about that next episode (laughs) for now uh we wanted to talk about alfred across the universe in other media before we do that, I just wanted to mention mm-hmm. that uh, if you do find a copy of this comic, it has an autobiographical write-up from Bob Kane that oh, is yeah. after the comic. Uh, it talks about the creation of Batman and Robin and uh, Kane. Oh, I also wanted to mention, so Kane is is credited as being the, the creator of Batman, the sole creator of Batman up until very recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like disgustingly recently, like 2015 or something. Yeah, something like that. The reason why, though, is because it was part of a business deal when National Allied Publications merged with Detective Comics. So when they created the new company, Bob Kane sold them the rights with the caveat that he would get sole byline credit Mm -hmm. as the creator. Which, I don't know, like, if he had worked that out with Bill Finger, or probably not. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Bill Finger was a writer on this comic. Yeah. And I'm not going to go back and do the math on it, but I'm pretty sure that Bill Finger has written, like, 90% of the comics that we've covered in this podcast. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the fact that he stayed with DC for so long, even though not receiving credit, makes me wonder why he didn't speak up. Or if he was okay with the with the deal that got made, mm-hmm. you know, as long as he had money coming in from writing the comics and getting credit for being the writer on the comics. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we watched a documentary about it a couple of years back. I don't remember any of the specifics, but I would have to guess it maybe was some sort of legal pressure. It was his out. family wanted him to get credit for it. They, yeah. they wanted his legacy preserved. Mm-hmm. That's what it was, mostly. Yeah. But actually, they didn't even really do much about it until, like, uh, the person who made this documentary 
like looked into it because for the longest time, if you want to go back and look at this documentary, it's really, really interesting. Bill Finger had one son who uh, was gay and died uh, during the AIDS epidemic, um, but miraculously did actually have a biological daughter. So the Bill Finger family lineage continues with a blood relative, and she was the one who ended up uh, being able to finally get him credited. It's called Batman and Bill. Yeah. That's the name of the documentary. And it's good. Yeah. It makes me kind of sad that, like, the very first thing he was ever credited on, that, like, the the guy, like, goes to the theater at the end and he, like, films it saying, like, Batman, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. It was Batman v Superman. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you had to sit through that whole movie to see that? Dang. <laughs> oh, well. At least Bill got... Did, I, if I was Bill's ghost rolling in his grave, he would have been like, this is what they credit me for? No. <laughs> Not this. Never this. <laughs> Um, hope you guys enjoyed Justice League. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, where was I? I don't even remember. Uh, you're talking about Bowfinger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it just makes me wonder if he was okay with it, because he stayed on the comics writing for, for so long, yeah. you know? I don't know. I mean... I, oh, been... anyway, you know what? I, I do remember what I was going to say. Bob Kane did say that later on in life, after Bill Finger had passed, that he wished he would have given him credit sooner. Yeah. Yeah. He, I agree, Bob. He, he said, he said, you know, oh, if only I would have done it 15 years ago. He had regrets after Bill Finger's death. There you go. Don't be greedy. Don't be greedy money, man. Yeah. And I think at that point it was kind of out of, out of his hands because mm-hmm. it was, you know, DC owned the character. You yeah. Know? Can I talk about Alfred now? Yeah, let's talk about Alfred in popular media. Yes. So, obviously, Alfred has appeared in just about every piece of media that Batman has appeared in. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to cover every single one of them, (laughs) because uh, he has appeared in numerous uh, cartoons, video games. uh, Television series. Television series, films, uh, literally everything. There's... uh, Batman, Lego Batman 1 and 3, where he is a playable character. (laughs) That was something I wanted to mention because I will not be getting into video games in this retrospective. Okay. But he's all over the place. So uh, I'm just going to do the big ones. Okay. We're going to start with television. Got it. So Alfred appears numerous times in the 1960s television series portrayed by Alan Napier. Possible name influence for Jack Napier, I wonder? I'm on to you, Tim Burton. It's possible. (laughs) Maybe. Seems unlikely. This Alfred is extremely knowledgeable in many fields that often aid Batman and Robin in their cases. He is also a capable mechanic, fencer, meteorologist, and painter, as well as an expert marksman in longbow, shortbow, and crossbow. Wow. Uh, There were also a few occasions before Robin could drive that Alfred would put on an eye mask and drive the Batmobile around when Batman was unable to be there. And there's a cute picture of it uh, actually on like the Batman TV wiki. He kind of looks like uh, the Green Hornet, but just like a color swapped. Like I honestly was going to say that I was like, he looks like the like Kato or whatever from the Green Hornet. He's got like a bowler and the eye mask. It's really cute. (laughs) Um, So Alfred in the Batman television show has an ALF cycle, which is unlike the motorcycle that we see in this comic. Uh, It's just a regular bicycle with runners for Batman to stand on the back of it. (laughs) And it has its own two-way ALF radio, which can communicate with the Batmobile. (laughs) 
Alfred does sometimes go undercover to assist the dynamic duo in the 60s television series. And some personas that he has used include Ethelbert Somaz, who's a solicitor at law, Serge Tort, who's Batman's attorney, who defends him when he is wrongfully convicted of a crime. <laughs> His last name is the legal term. Serge Tort. Uh, Gus, who is Batman's boxing coach, and this is my favorite, A.L. Fred, collector of rare books. <laughs> and actually, no, this one is my favorite. Um, he goes undercover as a real, he impersonates a real multimillionaire named Lord Easy Street. <laughs> and he makes uh, an appearance once, of course, as Batman, while Bruce Wayne is making a public appearance himself. That's hilarious. Yeah. Some of these are based on comics. Like, th- some of these sound like Golden Age stories that I had read about in my research. Yeah. Yeah, the one where he impersonates a, a, a billionaire or something. Lord Easy Street? Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, Alan Napier reprised the role in the 1966 movie. Um, and I also wanted to mention that in one of the final episodes of the television series, Barbara Gordon discovers that Alfred is Batman's secret accomplice, and therefore, Bruce Wayne must be Batman. However, simultaneously, Alfred discovers that Barbara is Batgirl, so they are forced to keep each other's secrets. Oh, yeah. This happened in the the first appearance of Batgirl episode Mm -hmm. that we watched uh, a couple of weeks ago when we did the Batgirl episode. Yeah. The other television appearance that I wanted to talk about was that with the exception of four episodes in the first season, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. voiced Alfred on Batman the Animated Series and the new Batman Adventures. He he, he voices him all throughout the animated universe. Yes. So up until like, up until Just- like Justice League. Yeah, yeah Justice League Unlimited all and all that. those. Uh, this version of Alfred was a former agent with MI6, mm. but no word on whether or not he was a double O. <laughs> I have James Bond on the brain. I doubt it. Yeah. As a former spy, Alfred is a skilled analyst, investigator, medic, and lab assistant. And it's suggested that as a former actor on the London stage, he taught Bruce the art of disguise and impersonation. Mm. He also takes on a surrogate father role to not only Bruce, but also Dick Grayson, Barbara Gordon, and Tim Drake throughout the series. Um, And Batman often relies on Alfred for advice and moral support. This version of Alfred was a father figure to Bruce as he grew up, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. He he actually was his butler like when his parents died. From the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's really good. And uh, Josh's quote from the beginning of this episode was from uh, the Mask Batman of the Mask Fant- of the Phantasm, which was uh, voiced by Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. And we actually watched a bunch of compilations on YouTube of like his best moments as Alfred. Yeah. And if you can, go back and look at it because Alfred was a super funny character. Yeah, he was in incredibly he was incredibly witty. And the, but the reason why I couldn't uh, do a lot of the quotes from him from that series is because a lot of the time he was playing off of other characters. Yeah. So somebody would say something and he'd have a, a witty retort. So there's one episode of, I want to say it's like the Justice League series where the Flash visits the Batcave and he goes, that's a giant dinosaur. And Alfred goes... And I thought Batman was the detective. <laughs> My favorite is, and this happens a couple of times where uh, Barbara, well, Barbara comes into the Batcave for the first time and he steps out of the shadows and he like sees her talking to Bruce Wayne and he's like, oh, uh, Miss Gordon, you've discovered our secret. I'm Batman. He's like, <laughs> protect Bruce at all costs. I love it. Yeah. There's a, yeah, the, the other one is from the Static Shock yeah. where he's like fixing Static Shock up and Static goes like, who are you? And he's he goes, I'm Batman. And he goes, no, you're not. And he goes, I wish someone would believe me when I say it. <laughs> just once. Um, and then I just want to say my, my favorite of him like playing off another character is um, 
Batman calls him and he's like on a case and he's going to be late. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be there for dinner. And Alfred's standing in the kitchen with like a fully made like turkey dinner or whatever. And he, he's like, I'm sorry to say this, sir, but your goose is cooked. <laughs> so I love it. Um, so sadly, in Batman Beyond, Bruce informs Terry, his protege, that Alfred died in 2019. So, or sometime before 2019. I don't think we ever get an actual date. Mm -hmm. The thing that I read said that he said it was in 2019. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and Bruce's relationship with Alfred is reflected in Terry's relationship with his friend Maxine Gibson. Uh, Maxine is tech savvy, and he she also discovers Terry's identity and helps him in a number of ways. And I actually just watched that episode because yeah. I've been rewatching some of the the Batman Beyond episodes. Josh is making full use of our HBO Max uh, subscription. Yeah. Subscription. <laughs> Watching every single bat thing that he possibly can from his childhood. Definitely. Oh, it's so good. It's honestly, it's it's a lot better than I remember it even being. It's yeah. it's so they get so dark with some of these things. There's a lot of like body horror and yeah. stuff. It's it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So Maxine, yeah, she's a kind of an interesting little amalgamation of like Alfred and Oracle. Yeah, she's tech savvy. She's smart. She knows Batman's identity. But she helps him out with stuff. She helps him out as Terry as well. Um, in one episode of Batman Beyond, Barbara Gordon visits Wayne Manor and uh, she and Bruce are, are drinking tea and Barbara tells Bruce he makes excellent tea to which Bruce replies, I learned from the best. Aww. And she's like, oh, I wish she could make those crumpets that he made too. Aww. Very sweet. That's so cute. I love it. Uh, so moving on to another television portrayal, a slightly harsher one. Uh, Alfred is played by Sean Pertwee in the TV series Gotham, and he appears in 81 episodes. <laughs> so we're not going to go too deep into it because I only watched like half of the first season and Josh only watched season one and two. And I was not about to go research every single Alfred storyline because it seemed like there was a lot of it. Yeah, I, I was reading the wiki to prepare for this and I was like, wait, they did the No Man's Land storyline in yeah. Gotham? Gotham? Gotham's wild. <laughs> so uh, crazy. This version of Alfred is a former member of the British Special Air Service, and he went to work for the Wayne family after Thomas Wayne lied to the London police to protect Alfred from being thrown in jail. Uh, Alfred again serves as a father figure to young Bruce following the death of, the, of his parents. He's there from the beginning in this one as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's even a scene in the first episode after the Waynes die where he tells him to keep his head up and, and don't cry because people are looking as, yeah. they're, as they're leaving the Yeah, this scene. this version of Alfred is a lot harsher. From Again, from what I remember he from like the first and second season, he, he's a lot more rough around the edges. He's not the, the caring father figure that we see. He's more of the type of person who tries to toughen up Bruce Wayne mm -hmm. who you know he sees that Bruce Wayne is this spoiled uh rich kid and he's like you know you gotta you gotta grow some 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 armor around you mm -hmm. and and learn how to deal with things however at the same time uh as the curious future detective gets obsessed with trying to solve his parents murder Alfred does his best to try to protect Bruce from the horrors of the world there's a scene where they're like sword fighting or whatever and he's he finds like a, a file falls off of a desk and it's pictures from the the crime scene of the Wayne murders and he's like what are you doing with this why would you look at this and bruce is like i'm trying to solve the murder he's like <laughs> 10 so. well he's he gets like really worried about bruce too because i want to say bruce becomes like suicidal and self-harming in in like the yeah. end of the first season he puts his hand over a candle because yeah. he's trying to cure himself of pain he tries to cure himself of fear by like standing on the top of of wayne manor's roof and yeah. just like staring down 
Oh, Bruce. <laughs> He's an incredibly disturbed child. You know Gotham. what? When you see your parents murdered in front of you, usually you don't take it too well. Yeah. It can be quite a revelatory experience, as we know, <laughs> from Jeez. watching Batman all these years. Uh, so in season three, Bruce is forced by Ra's al Ghul to kill Alfred with a sword. However, Alfred gets resurrected by a Lazarus pit shortly after. Because no one's ever really gone. No one's ever really gone. There's also a show called Pennyworth that has been airing on Epics. It's currently in its second season. Josh and I have not watched it. Um, Why would we watch? It's on some <laughs> premium cable channel that I've never even heard of. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about it, good or bad. Because uh, nobody's watching it. To mean that no one's watching it. Uh, I don't know. It just seems so oversaturated by all these shows. Um, so I'm just going to read you verbatim uh, the premise that I got off of Wikipedia. So uh, Pennyworth explores the early life of the titular Wayne family butler, Alfred Pennyworth, a former British SAS soldier who is forming his own security company in an alternate London, which combines aspects of the 50s and 60s with invented events and practices such as televised public executions. Alfred becomes the target of the Raven Society, a group conspiring to take over the British government and begins working against them alongside American agents of the No Name League, Thomas Wayne and Martha Kane. The future parents of Bruce Wayne. This sounds so, absolutely wild. If you want to go watch Pennyworth, you can do that if you want. Yeah, but um, if anything about that made you think that it was going to be a good series, I guess. Yeah, yeah sure. Why not? We're not, we're not bossy. It looks like a weird uh, Court of Owls rewrite, kind of. Maybe. You've got a secret society that's trying to take over the government. Yeah. Although the thing about it being based on the 60s, but also them showing public execution, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. No. Uh, great. So, film. Uh, <laughs> Alfred is played by Michael Goh in four films. Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. Which is absolutely weird mm -hmm. that they kept the same actor for Alfred. Yeah. Uh, he and Pat Hingle, who plays Gordon, are the only two actors to appear in all four of those films. It doesn't make any sense that they would change the actor for Bruce Wayne and not the actor for Alfred. Hmm. He was he wasn't doing anything. I guess. Whereas Michael Keaton had other stuff he wanted to do, I guess. I don't know. Or he didn't want to work with uh, Joel, Joel Schumacher, Schumacher maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And, uh, you know, more power to him. <laughs> not to speak ill of the dead, but not a fan. However, uh, Alfred supports and counsels Bruce as he decides to become Batman and convinces him to tell Vicki Vale his secret identity, even though Bruce then leaves it to Alfred to actually tell Vicki Vale his secret <laughs> identity because he doesn't want to do anything. Um, in Batman Returns, Alfred acts as the man in the chair, helping to bring down the penguin from the Batcave. Uh, in Batman Forever, Alfred helps Dick Grayson design his Robin costume and ultimately helps him convince Batman to let Dick be his sidekick by teaching him how to, well, not teaching him how to fight, but helping him refine his, his fighting skills and be the hero he was truly born to be. Nice. And then uh, Alfred takes on the role of both a damsel in distress and also a ticking time bomb in Batman and Robin when he falls ill from McGregor's syndrome. Alfred's, a completely made-up disease. Yes. Alfred's niece Barbara comes to live at Wayne Manor and then infiltrates the Batcave. She then discovers that the dynamic duo uh, are the people she's been living with, uh, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, and also finds a suit that her uncle Alfred made for her to become Batgirl. And after Mr. Freeze is defeated in Batman and Robin, uh, the cure he was working on for his own wife, Nora, who also had McGregor syndrome, is given to Alfred, saving his life. Wonderful. Yeah, so he doesn't die in that one. You love to nice. see it. You love to see it. 
Who's next? Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Oh, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. You only had to blow the bloody doors off. No, you got all... <laughs> it's like he has marbles in his mouth when he's talking. <laughs> all right, I didn't bet Michael Caine. You said I would just school me on that Michael Caine impression. <laughs> so I just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Listen, I've, I've studied my Michael Caine impression. I, I okay. went to theater school. All right. Michael Caine plays Alfred in the Nolanverse. Uh, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. Mm -hmm. After Bruce vanishes for seven years while training with the League of Shadows, he is declared legally dead by those in charge of uh, Wayne Enterprises. However, it is found that he has left everything to Alfred, which is great. Ooh. And once he returns, Alfred helps him become the hero of Gotham and encourages him to have a public social life so that no one can accuse him of being Batman. Mm. He later saves Bruce's life when the League of Shadows attacks Wayne Manor. That big scene with the fire. Yeah. He gets crushed under uh, like a, a piece of wood and Alfred saves his life, which is cool. Uh, in The Dark Knight, Rachel uh, asks Alfred to give Bruce a letter, quote, when the time is right. Alfred later reads it with Rachel's permission and discovers that Rachel was going to marry Harvey Dent because she didn't think Bruce would ever be able to stop being Batman. After her death, Alfred considers giving Bruce the letter until Bruce tells him that he thinks Rachel would have chosen him over Harvey. Oh, no. Alfred decides to burn the letter. Remember what I was saying? Alfred burns evidence sometimes. Oh. Ah, as a reference. Okay. So Alfred decides to burn the letter, noting that just as Gotham needed to believe in Harvey Dent, Bruce needed to believe in Rachel's love for him. Wow. Yeah. However, it gets pretty messy, as did everything in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Um, Alfred finally spills the information about Rachel choosing Harvey uh, in order to dissuade Bruce from becoming Batman to fight Bane. He also tells Bruce that when he was training with the League of Shadows, Alfred would often visit a cafe in Florence and imagine that one day he'd see Bruce there, settled down and happy. Bruce is enraged and he orders Alfred to leave Wayne Manor. Um, and after it is presumed that Bruce has died at the end of Dark Knight Returns, Alfred breaks down in tears over the graves of the Wayne family, apologizing that he couldn't protect them. However, when he returns to that cafe in Florence, he sees Bruce and Selina Kyle happy at last. Also, Bruce left him all his money in his will, for real this time. Wow. Yeah. He's living high on the hog. I know, right? He probably gets Wayne Manor. Rebuilt Wayne Manor, too. Yeah, a rebuilt Wayne Manor, along gets, with however so, many shares of Wayne Enterprises he, he had. He gets to live with, uh, let's see if I remember his name. Uh, first, can't remember his first name. Middle name Robin Blake. Oh. <laughs> Something Robin Blake. Oh, I, I get who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, or is his first name Robin? I think his first name was Robin. His first name is really Robin, but he goes by a different... By his middle name. Yeah. You should go by your first name, Robin. It's so pretty. I feel like if I say Dick Grayson, no one in the audience is going to know who I'm talking about. <laughs> because this movie isn't for real fans. No, yeah, that movie is incredibly dumb. Yeah. Well, you know what? Reading... The entire police force was trapped underground? Yeah. All of them went to that that football game? Yeah. Every single police officer in the whole of Gotham City? Yeah. No. Yeah. That movie. Not, not a single, not a single desk jockey stayed behind to eat donuts. I don't want to. I don't want to call it plot holes. It's just like lazy writing or stupid writing. Not a single traffic cop up up there writing tickets. Not a single meter maid. I plotted the war of the Gotham City into chaos, Batman. Someone just want to watch the world burn, Batman. Anyway. 
you know what? Re rereading, rediscovering the ending of uh, Dark Knight Rises through Alfred's eyes, it kind of does make me a little like misty and a little like, you know what? That's kind of sweet. Because um, the first time I saw Dark Knight Rises, and I've never seen it a second time, and I will not. <laughs> I you just, refuse? I just get really angry about the fact that Batman leaves Gotham to the criminals. And yeah, I guess they're supposed to be like, and then there's no criminals left anymore. But there are. There I mean, there's like three criminals in that whole franchise. Uh, he takes down, I want to say, five or six. Okay. Uh, Scarecrow, Falcone... Dent, Joker, Bane. Al Ghul? Ra's al Ghul. Okay. Six. Six. He takes down six villains in that verse. And then there's a few others that are in that animated movie that is supposed to tie into the Nolan films, but is like barely related. Yeah, it's not. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, is that all we have to say about the Nolan verse? Yeah. Alfred Pennyworth? That's all we have to say about Alfred in the most popular media that you have seen him in. Okay. He, like I said, he's also in every single animated series and every single video game. Maybe if we have time in a couple of future episodes, we'll do it. Uh, I think I want to reveal right now that this is actually the first of a three-parter. We're doing an arc. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Do we want to talk about uh, how do you can reach us? I do. Okay. I would love to talk about how you guys can reach us. You can email us at batmatespodcast at gmail.com. What's that email? Batmatespodcast at gmail.com. Oh. Yeah. You can send us recommendations. You can tell us what you like, what you wish we could do better with the show, um, any feedback at all. Uh, we, tell we, us our cats are too noisy in the background. Yeah, tell us you hate that we live next to a train. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we also received a really, really kind five-star review on iTunes. And we want to read it out loud. And we want to encourage you, if you're liking the show, to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And we'll read it out loud. We're only going to read out loud the five-star reviews. So please only rate us five stars. Please. <laughs> um, great. Do you want to read it? Do you want me to? Yeah, sure. I can read it. Okay. The 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 user is five stars, uh, and the the title is so funny and informative at the same time. You guys truly seem to love what you talk about, and I know that I sure do too. You guys are the only podcasters I listen to besides one other because you're the only Batman slash DC podcast that accurately goes accurately goes into depth about characters I really want to know more about. Give it a listen, y'all, and just know that you'll be back to listen very shortly after. Yeah. Thank you to whoever posted that. Thank you, five stars. We give you five stars for listening. <laughs> That's so sweet. That made our day to read that. It did. We yeah. were so happy. We were so happy. Great. So thank you so much for listening to Batmates. Stay tuned for part two next week. I finally set up our Twitter account, so you can now follow us on Twitter at Batmates. And I will tweet there and hang out with you the fans and hopefully build our audience because we bought the McElroy's podcasting book and basically the only thing we weren't doing was anything on social media we were counting on you guys to spread it through word of mouth so tell all your friends I'm still counting on you but I will also try to spread it through word of keyboard through <laughs> the internet even though I am a hundred years old and you can't prove I'm not <laughs> I can yeah well they won't have to believe you. They can believe me when I say I'm 100 years old. But I can... Pr whatever. 
Our what are you going to do, read my passport aloud on the podcast? <laughs> our theme song was uh, composed by Ben Dean. Our podcast logo was put together by Savannah Storm. And you can find Ben Dean's stuff at... tinyurl.com slash B-E-N-D-E-A-N-E. And you can find Savannah Storm's stuff at... art.by.savvys on Instagram. Goodbye, everyone. Have a good week. Tip your butler. Over. <laughs> what? Tip him over. Give him a thrill. <laughs> what is, what, come back next week for more nonsense. Yeah!